Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading comes from Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your yes be yes, and no be no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture lesson today comes from Matthew, chapter 23, verses 25 through 28. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but on the inside they are full of the bones of the dead and all kinds of filth. So you also, on the outside, look righteous to others, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So during Advent, we're doing a sermon series called Through the Looking Glass, which is the title to the follow-up to the children's story, Alice in Wonderland. Once again, Alice finds herself in a fantastical world where she enters into it through a mirror, and so everything is reversed. If she wants to move forward, she has to move backwards. If you want to stand still, you run in place. The entire world is paradoxical. And this is why I've entitled this series The Looking Glass, because so much of what we know about Christianity is paradoxical. Jesus' life, elements of Christianity. And so each week, we've been looking at a different paradox in the Christian faith, And we've been asking the question, how can we live into that paradox so that we can better mirror Jesus' life, who represents the totality of who we are to become? So we've come to the last sermon in this particular series in Advent, where we're going to be talking about the last paradox. Last week, we talked about trying to find control in the midst of chaos. This week, we are trying to understand the consistency of being inconsistent. And I think that... Many of you are probably aware that humans are notoriously inconsistent. Although we have the capacity to make decisions based on logic and reason, very often logic and reason do not dictate our behaviors. More often than not, when we make decisions, we do so based on emotion. And sometimes that can lead us in good directions. Other times it can lead us to be irrational and impulsive. And this morning, I want to begin with a story that I think really encapsulates this problem that we face as human beings. So I'm sure many of you are familiar with probably one of the most famous battles ever fought in the United States. And it's when George Washington 
went to Trenton, New Jersey, and had the Battle of Trenton on Christmas Day, 1776. Now, what you probably know about this story is based on this painting right here. Now, this painting, of course, shows George Washington. He's looking very stoic. He's crossing the icy Delaware River, and it seems like he has a plan, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And I think that this particular painting is very emblematic of how many of us think about the Americans and their fight against the British during the Revolution. But this is actually not the real story of the Battle of Trenton. And so this morning, I want to tell you about that story and what actually happened. So if you know anything about the Revolutionary War, early on in the war, we were not doing particularly well. Although today we look back at George Washington and we say of George Washington that he was one of the best generals in the history of the United States, the fact is he was not a brilliant military tactician. In fact, he only had a third grade education, and that showed in many of the early battles of the Revolutionary War. So what would happen is they would go, they would fight, they would lose, and they were up against the British who were amazing military tacticians. These were some of the best military in the world. And so they had won many of the strategic battles. In fact, they had taken New York, which was essentially the capital of the colonies. And so by the winter of 1776, Washington's troops they were run down, they were hungry, they were feeling like they were dejected and they weren't going to be able to win. And so Washington really needed a victory under his belt if things were going to get better. So he meticulously planned for the Battle of Trenton. He wanted to go in and he wanted to win this and so he put together what was a very good plan. He was going to have his men meet at a rendezvous point and they were going to cross over the river, Delaware, and go in to fight the Hessians. Now today, the Hessians are known as the Germans, but at that time they were Hessians in the 1700s, and so they were helping the British with this fight. And so the idea was to go over and to attack them. And so the day came when they were going to make this particular attack. And what was going to happen is two elements of his troops, they were going to rendezvous together at this point. And so Washington is coming from the north. He's going down to this rendezvous point, And unfortunately, the weather begins to deteriorate rapidly. In fact, it deteriorates to the point where the temperature falls and the snow comes down at a rapid pace. And so they were moving very quickly initially, but then after a while, they start moving at a snail's pace until they get to the rendezvous point three hours late. And when they get there, the other elements of the troop hasn't even arrived yet. And so he's there and he's looking at the Delaware River and it's full of ice. And now he's in a really tough situation because if he starts sending his troops across, they're putting themselves in a really dangerous situation. And so this very well-crafted plan was literally falling apart right in front of Washington's eyes. Now on top of this, what Washington didn't know is that two of his men had defected to the British and they had gone to the Hessians and had told them that he was coming. Now the Hessians, they were being led by a man named Colonel Johann Rawl. Now, Rawl, he was an excellent military leader, and he welcomed the fight. He said, let them come. We will take them with the bayonet. Literally, the Hessians were some of the best trained soldiers in the world. And so if Washington had got there, then these men were literally going to slaughter his army. And what this meant was that Washington was walking into a death trap. So 
Washington, he finally gets his men across the Delaware River, and he's there on the other side, and he's seeing that the odds are really stacked against him. And anybody looking at this situation objectively, they would have turned around and gone home. But he was driven by impulse. He was driven by his emotions, this need to win. And so he takes his troops and he decides we're going to move forward with it, knowing that this could be the end of the Revolutionary Army. And in fact, it would have been the end had it not been for a little bit of luck. So Colonel Rawl, he was looking at the situation and basically thinking that he was never going to show up because Washington was so far behind on his schedule. And he didn't know that, of course, but he, didn't, he wasn't there. And he assumed that no general in their right mind was going to actually fight under these conditions. And he's right. No general in their right mind would have fought under these conditions. But Washington was not in his right mind. He was really not thinking very clearly and straight. But Colonel Rawl, because he doesn't think that Washington's coming, now he tells his men, go ahead, celebrate Christmas. So they go into their tents, they get warm, and they start drinking copious amounts of alcohol. Now, by the time that Washington eventually arrives at their camp, they are passed out drunk everywhere. And so his ability to actually take them over, it's not that much of a fight because most of them aren't in any condition to fight. So he walks in, the Americans lose a total of four soldiers, they capture a thousand Hessians. Now, this, from a strategic point of view, didn't really mean all that much. They didn't get any land back. It really wasn't that big of a win in terms of the totality of the war. But it did mean two things. One, it really boosted morale for the Revolutionary Army and for the colonists. And two, it taught Washington a really important lesson, which is that he could not take on the British head to head, that he was going to have to use unconventional tactics and surprise attacks if he was going to win. So for example, from this point forward, Washington, what he told his troops was that they were not going to walk the line. Now walking the line, of course, is what you would do. That was conventional at the time. That you would walk in a line, and then you would fire, and eventually you'd meet the other line and you'd fight. He told them, no, we're going to use guerrilla tactics. You're going to get up in trees. You're going to get behind bushes. You're going to get in houses. That's how we're going to fight. And of course, the British, they were not used to this. They were used to fighting in line. And so as they walked forward, the Americans would literally pick them off with their muskets from wherever they were hiding. And they didn't want to break the line. They were too traditional. And eventually, so many of them died that, as we know, they eventually packed up and went home. Now, why have I told you this story? I tell you this story because often when we look at this particular victory, we think it's because Washington was a genius, when in reality, he was backed into a corner. And in this particular situation, he made a decision that frankly could have been the end of the Revolutionary War. Because had he been on time, had the weather not deteriorated, the Hessians would have been waiting. They would have not only slaughtered the truth, but likely captured Washington. And who knows what would have happened from that point forward. The only reason it didn't go down that way is because Colonel Rawl assumed that Washington was going to be consistent with other generals in his position and not jeopardize the safety of his troops. And so I really think that this example of Washington it is emblematic of many decisions that we make as humans in our lives. So we plan, we gather information, we try to make a reasoned approach to what we're going to do. But then when it comes down to the moment, when we get to that moment where we have to make the decision, all that goes out the window. And we make our decision based on our emotion, our feelings, where we are in the moment, which 
may be the exact opposite of all the information we've collected, or it may be inconsistent with what we have done in the past. And many people have said that because humans do this so often, that the most consistent thing about human beings is our inconsistency. And I think that in many situations, we like to present ourselves as being these people who really have a plan. We have it all together. We're logic. We're reasonable, right? But then, when it comes down to it, we are driven by our emotions. Sometimes, like in the case of George Washington, it works out. Other times, and I would think most of the time, it does not. And I want to give you another example of this from my own life, of this dichotomy that I'm talking about, of being one way on the outside and another way on the inside. As you all know, I grew up in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and as I was growing up in my town, and this wasn't just true of my parents, it was true of many, but obviously I noticed it among my parents, which is that they would act one way in public, and then they would act another way behind closed doors. So in public, my parents were calm, cool, collected, intelligent, and kind. To any casual observer who didn't know them particularly well, you would think that they were a successful couple with successful children. But behind closed doors, there was a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting amongst themselves, also with us. My mother actually could be quite cruel to myself and to my sisters. And as I got older, I began to notice this dichotomy in my own home. And when I became a teenager, this was really hard for me to deal with because when I'd be out in public with my parents, it was excruciating for me to be with them. Not because I was embarrassed to be with them, as many teenagers are, but I didn't want to be with them because when they're talking to these people, I wanted to say, are you really buying this? Like, do you know how they are behind closed doors? Do you know how they actually treat me? So. Out in public, my parents were like Washington preparing for the battle on Triton. But then behind closed doors, they were like Washington in the middle of the snowstorm. Emotion, impulse. So they were one way on the outside, but on the inside, they were chaotic. They were calm, cool, collected on the outside, but there was a lot of difficulty, a lot of struggle on the inside. And I remember that when I started learning about Christianity, I was struck because I eventually came across a point in the scriptures where Jesus actually talks about this dichotomy. He speaks to it in the scripture that we read this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, and I want to read that to you. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside they are full of the bones of the dead and all kinds of filth. Now I love this particular metaphor because it's really genius. Essentially what he's saying is that you can look beautiful, put together, clean on the outside, but on the inside you can essentially be dead. And something I have found to be true in my life is that the more put together a person is on the outside, the more chaos that is going on on the inside, that that outside is really a mask for what it is that's happening to them internally. And so what I have found, this, when I found this to be true, I also found that what Jesus talks about is true, which is that you can't just deal with the internal by masking it with the external, that if you're working only on the external, that's not going to fix the internal, that in fact it's the other way around. Jesus says that you need to fix the inside if you want the outside to be beautiful. This is what he says. He says, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, 
but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. First, clean the inside of the cup so that the outside may become clean. When you only focus on making sure that the outside looks beautiful and put together, when you focus only on what people can see and you neglect the internal aspect of who you are, then you become a hypocrite. Now, that word hypocrite, I've talked about this before, but it's really important. It actually originally comes from Greek theater, and it literally means to wear masks. So that word hypocrite means to wear masks. It was used in Greek theater. And in Greek theater at the time, what they would do is they would literally put on a mask, like so. And in putting on that mask, they could hide their true selves and they could pretend to be someone else. Now, initially, this didn't have a negative connotation. Today, you call somebody a hypocrite. That's an insult. But back in that day and time, a hypocrite was just an actor. That's what they were. They were hypocrites. But Jesus, he takes that, and he turns that into a negative connotation. He says that someone who is a hypocrite is a person who wears a mask to hide their true selves. Now, The way you prevent yourself from being a hypocrite is by being authentic. So you don't act one way with one person and a different way with another person. To be authentic is to be consistent. Because when you act one way with one person and another way with a different person, what ends up happening is that there's this dissonance going on inside of you. So there's this constant tension within you where you're trying to present yourself as being one way to another, one group of people, and you actually feel completely differently on the inside. I often think that if my mother had simply been willing to be honest, if she had just simply been willing to say to the people in her life, look, my marriage is not going great. I'm struggling to raise these three kids. It's really hard. If she had simply been honest about that, as opposed to presenting an image that everything was fine, then I think she would have been much better off because that honesty would have actually freed her because in having to keep up that image, it meant that the chaos and the anger, it just made it that much worse on the inside. And so when I started really looking into Christianity, what I realized is that a lot of what Jesus is trying to do in our lives, a lot of his teachings is geared towards helping us to become authentic, to actually helping us to blend these two parts of ourselves together. When you follow what he says, it actually allows you to become a consistent person. So for instance, we read this morning, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Very often when we read that, what we think in that is that he's just saying, well, you need to keep to your word, which is true. He's totally saying that. But A deeper layer to that is not that you just need to be honest with your words, but you also need to be honest with yourself. So if you're open about your faults and your flaws, if you are truly authentic, then your external life can match your internal life. When you are open and honest about your faults and your flaws, then you can bridge the gap between the person who you are now and the person who you want to become. And this is actually really, really important, what I'm about to say here. So if you're living your life and you have two different aspects to who you are, you have an external component and an internal component, and they do not match, you can never change the person who you are. You have to have those things together in order for it to happen. And this is a big part of what it really means to be a Christian. That if you own the fact that you are inconsistent, 
and you open yourself to authenticity by allowing Jesus to allow to push you to be authentic through his teachings, through his path, Jesus is able to heal the chaos inside of you so that you can be made whole. And this is what Jesus does for us. He shines a light on the dark places of our soul. And this is why I think Jesus' birth is so absolutely incredible, because he is consistent from the time he is born until the time he dies. And what he asks of his disciples is that you need to be authentic in the same way that he is authentic. So if you are going to follow in his path, if you're going to do the things that Jesus did, what that means is that you have to allow Jesus to blend these two parts of you together. Those internal and external parts of who you are, they need to become one. By following Jesus, he forces you to take off the mask and be your true, authentic, whole self. And this is the real problem with the paradox of being consistently inconsistent, is that it prevents us from being honest with ourselves. And that's what I hope you realize that Christmas is really all about. Yes, it is about the birth of our Savior, but it's also about the fact that this boy would grow up to become a man who would give us a path to allow us to become truly authentic, to become our true selves, the people who God intended us to be. And so I hope that on this Christmas, you will sit down and you will think about Jesus' birth and let your yes be yes to taking off the mask and being your true, authentic, whole self because that is what we are being pushed to be by Jesus. He wants us to be a person who blends those parts of ourselves together so that we truly can be whole. This is the end of our Advent series. It's the end of talking about the paradoxes of the Christian faith. We're going to have something completely different for you on Christmas Eve. We worked very hard on this service. And as you've heard in the announcements, it is something that you can watch whenever you want to on uh, Christmas Eve day. So it's that entire Thursday. You can watch it. It'll be up for you to watch when it's appropriate for you. And we just hope that you have a wonderful Christmas with your family, with your friends, or with whomever you are able to see on Zoom. We love you, we miss you, and Merry Christmas. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.